Well, welcome to the show, and once again, uh, you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor, KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM. My name's Andrew Murray, and for those of you who perhaps have never listened to the shows which run every third Friday of the month from 7 to 8 p.m., both my wife and I, who's not here this evening, uh, we're both licensed medical herbalists, and we graduated in England with a master's degree in herbal medicine, and we see and advise clients with a wide range of conditions with herbal and dietary advice, as well as lifestyle, lifestyle change advice. Uh, okay, so you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor, KMD Galvo, 91.1 FM, and uh, fortunately, Dr. Pete is joining us again this month for the show's topic, uh, which will be broadly um, encompassing allergy uh, as a fairly pertinent time of year. Things are just starting to flower. The clocks have gone forward. We're on summertime. Uh, things are flowering, and soon the grasses will be flowering, uh, although that's just not the only source of allergy-related uh, uh, effects, but there obviously are plenty of other allergies, uh, both food and environmental. Um, so once again, we're very welcome to uh, welcome Dr. Pete on the show, who's going to share his insights into the mechanisms of allergy. Uh, and as always, you probably won't have heard some of what he's going to say related to the explanation for allergies, because... It's fairly new material. In fact, some of it's very old material. It just hasn't been accepted. But um, Dr. Pete's break on rationale on the subject uh, of allergies is both fascinating and insightful. So thanks so much for joining us again, Dr. Pete. Yeah, hi. <coughs> uh, for those uh, people who have perhaps have never tuned into the show or never read your newsletters or maybe haven't heard of you, uh, would you just outline your academic and professional background before we get going with the show's... <laughs> After I had uh, studied uh, humanities and uh, linguistics for a while and uh, taught linguistics, I decided to study biology and uh, spent four years, 1968 to 72, uh, studying for a PhD at University of Oregon. And uh, in, I think it was 1969, uh, I attended their international immunology uh, conference and uh, Seeing some of the uh, most famous immunologists in the world, I, I became skeptical of the standard theories of immunity <laughs> okay. because they were really ignoring some of the uh, papers that were given at that conference in in favor of uh, staying with the stereotype official dogma. Okay. All right. Well, that's a, that's a good introduction. I know that you're uh, extremely talented and you've done a lot of work over many decades here now uh, of your own research looking at the reality of the science behind uh, cause and effect. And I know that you've written a lot of material on your own website giving people uh, free access to some of the explanations that you've given and, and some of which have been borne out in mainstream science recently. So that's good news that uh, it, it's gradually getting out there. Um for those people that are listening, just wanted also to uh, highlight the fact that from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, uh, you're both invited and welcome to call in with any questions, either related to this month's topic of allergy um, or other subjects if you have them. But if we can try and stick on the cop topic of allergy, that would probably be best. So the number, if you live in the area... There's a 707 number is 923-3911. Or if fortunately you're outside of the state uh, of California and you wanted to call in from the East Coast or the Midwest, uh, 
we often get people calling in from those places so that's great to hear you you all out there and i know even people in different parts of the the world have have tuned in so uh there's a toll-free number which is 1-800-KMUD-RAD which is 1-800-568-3723 uh for people listening they can also uh Tune into the uh, web version of KMUD.org and uh, listen to the uh, live broadcast uh, on the air now. So, Dr. Pete, I think uh, just starting off with um, some of the kind of medical uh, model of allergy, um, what I've what I've been reading and what I've understood previously from my background is that IgE is the main mediated. Uh, product uh, as an antibody product that causes the um, recognition and the reactive uh, processes that lead to inflammation what um, what do you what do you see of uh, of IgE as a, as the main cause or do you not even agree with that I, I think one of the reasons that it gets so much attention is that um, it fit with a, a hereditary idea of susceptibility to allergy and other diseases. And uh, uh, I think the facts are that it's as much an effect of allergy as it is a cause. Uh, For example, uh, it's known that the uh, determination of the B cells or bone-derived white blood cells uh, to make the IgE type of antibody, it's determined by the signals in the body. And uh, uh, histamine uh, is the immediate, probably the most effective uh, signal in telling the B cells to start making the IgE antibody. And so if you don't have inflammation uh, from the uh, stressed cells producing histamine, Uh, you won't be likely to have so much IgE. And one of the things uh, that turns on uh, the production of uh, more mast cells or the secretion or leakage of histamine from the mast cells is prostaglandins produced from the polyunsaturated fatty acids, uh, especially prostaglandin E2. Uh, And... uh, Over the last uh, 15 or 20 years, several researchers have uh, seen that uh, allergic women uh, have uh, babies that are born with uh, higher polyunsaturated fatty acid content and that those babies are more likely to develop allergies at an early age. And uh, the uh, polyunsaturated fats tend to uh, decrease uh, the uh, low density, so-called bad cholesterol, and increase the HDL, uh, high density uh, type of cholesterol. Yeah. And the HDL is associated with allergy, and uh, higher LDL is associated with less likelihood of allergy. Huh, so uh, PUFA and HDL, the supposedly good things, <laughs> which have been increasingly promoted are believed by uh, quite a few allergists uh, now to be responsible for the great increase in allergy in Europe and America. 
because they're signaling for inflammation. Um, yeah, yeah, they, they increase the, uh, among other things, the prostaglandins, which mm-hmm. increase the histamine production. Yeah. Okay, so you mentioned the prostaglandins here when you first started talking about the uh, uh, IG antibodies. They uh, kind of go through a signaling process. So these uh, these free fatty acids, these are very self same free fatty acids that you often talk about as being important to keep down because they're in both inflammatory and uh, destructive in their in- inflammatory uh, mechanisms. Um, yeah, besides making uh, the uh, prostaglandins in themselves, they are. Uh, cause changes in cells that disrupt their, their functions. Uh, in fact, every function of the cell uh, can be disrupted by too much of the polyunsaturated fats. Um, and uh, one of the worst things they do is to uh, interrupt oxidative metabolism. And uh, the uh, uh, energy deficit, I think, is uh, ultimately the, the thing that uh, leads to the really serious allergy problems. Mm-hmm. Now, when you talk about energy production, again, I'm automatically thinking of the mitochondrial powerhouse of the cell producing energy and thyroid and progesterone being those pro-supportive uh, supplements, nutrients uh, for it. That's that's the correct way of thinking about it. Um, yeah, and uh, babies and uh, very young children uh, can oxidize uh, fatty acids very quickly and and get good energy from them, but in proportion to how unsaturated they are, uh, they uh, over the years slow down the ability to oxidize anything. And uh, uh, sugar doesn't do that. Glucose uh, doesn't cause the uh, the great uh, problems with. Uh, metabolism and, and energy production. Okay, so there's a kind of cumulative effect uh, with uh, free fatty acid buildup in the body that leads to a decrease in energy, and that energy decrease is responsible in part for the uh, uh, arrival on the scene of the inflammatory mediators that uh, usually poorly, poorly, uh, poorly uh, started. They're triggered uh, by things which normally p- people wouldn't be um, susceptible to or uh, allergic to. I think this is some of the rationale for why people get unexplained so-called allergies. And I know as we get into the energy production side of uh, your rationale on, uh, on allergies, uh, we'll come up with some good ways to uh, stave off that process. Um. Uh, yeah, about uh, 40 or 50 years ago, uh, some people associated with Hans Selye in Canada mm-hmm. uh, did research <clears throat> on allergy and and uh, the shock uh, re- that can be uh, produced by right. allergens. And uh, in one of their studies, they graded allergens from the, the uh, potentially deadly uh, uh, walnut oil allergy uh, down to uh, very mild allergies like pollen that would maybe cause the sniffles. Mm -hmm. And they uh, gave that range of allergens to animals that had uh, glucose infused into their bloodstream to give them uh, twice to three times the normal concentration of glucose. Okay. And even the most deadly allergen didn't do anything worse than maybe give them the sniffles when they had high blood sugar. But if they gave them a little 
insulin to lower their mm. blood sugar. And the mildest allergen could kill them with anaphylactic shock. Got it. Okay, so sugar is a, a good mediator then. It's, a, it's almost a, uh, um, a stress-reducing substance that prevents that cascade from even occurring then. Uh, yeah, lots of people have been able to give up their EpiPens or their uh-huh. uh, epinephrine uh, dosers uh, just by keeping a Coke on hand yeah. uh, if they uh, uh, are stung <laughs> by a bee that they're uh-huh. allergic to or, or such. Uh, they drink a Coke quickly. I find it so interesting that the uh, industry wants to demonize all those things that have been shown time and time again to be beneficial for people. So I know, uh, I, th- I think I read today on, on one, I was, as I was scanning the internet, trolling for different um, pieces of information and um, going through with some of the stuff that I was going to discuss with you today, I'm sure I came across an article about a sugar tax that they're now imposing in England. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I know it's a little bit of a, off, off, the, uh, off the subject here. But anyway, um, sugar is very important, not just in terms of uh, energy production, um, but for vitalizing the cell. Um, and it's also that same sugar, then, they're saying, which is directly responsible for directly uh, reducing the uh, inflammation. Uh, yeah, when you increase, like in these animals, when you give them extra glucose, <clears throat> it's able to get around the uh, polyunsaturated fatty acid interference with energy production. It can uh, turn off the production of fatty acids and uh, get directly to the mitochondria to produce energy. Yeah. I think when most people think about sugar, they've probably been told by mainstream media how bad it is and um, you know what your glucose should be and, and, and hear about all the diabetes that's rampant now as a, as a means or a reason not to consume sugar, but we all know that the uh, cause for diabetes is not nothing to do with sugar. Um, and we've gone over various radio shows uh, talking about the, the high fructose corn syrup in the, in the in- industry's uh, food chain and how that along with the polyunsaturates are directly uh, responsible for the rise in diabetes. Um, so sugar itself, in terms of um, the sugar that would be necessary, I wonder if you, remem- if you know, if you remember the, art- the, uh, the work or the articles about the amount of sugar. You say two to three times what would be normally present as an average uh, blood glucose. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, 300 milligrams per cent yeah. was uh, uh, the um, protective completely protective level. Yeah, interesting. Okay, well, you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor, KMUD Garbaville, 91.1 FM. Uh, from 7.30 till the end of the show, callers are invited to call in with questions about this month's subject of allergy. Uh, we've come to that time of year now, March, with the clock's going forward and everything breaking into flower, uh, where people are probably going to start coming down with the things that they uh, recognise as the start of spring. So there's going to be plenty of uh, advice here to understand the mechanisms by which allergy occur and how best to deal with it uh, from a a nutrition point of view. Um, I guess the underlying uh, pathophysiology of allergy involves the immunoregulatory dysfunction then, similar to those uh, that's been noted in highly stressed populations, and we'll get into the stress side here in a moment. Um, So the uh, um, allergies themselves have been considered psychosomatic and... uh, They've worsened outcomes in patients with a high degree of uh, psychosocial stress. How, how do you see the cause-effect aspect of stress modulating the allergy response? Um, remember, we were talking about learned helplessness. Yeah, yeah. Uh, stress that uh-huh. you can't escape from. Yeah. Uh, uh, even if it's not a very 
deadly stress. The, the forced swimming test of the rats. It becomes deadly, and mm -hmm. that's because you can't mobilize the uh, anti-stress uh, system. You get stuck in the cholinergic or parasympathetic side of the system, which tends to weaken and slow your heartbeat and uh, weaken other defenses, but it, it puts you in a, a predisposed to uh, become inflamed condition. Mm -hmm. And uh, when they've looked at uh, people with various inflammatory diseases, uh, it turns out that their social economic status uh, is additive to any particular uh, learned helplessness situation so that uh, a person with, with any uh, bad condition is less likely to survive if they have a low uh, social economic status. But uh, if they uh, have uh, overcome uh, learned helplessness, uh, they can also overcome their social economic status. Uh, they're simply additive so that uh, learned helplessness plus low status uh, low income uh, makes you very susceptible to uh, rheumatoid arthritis, heart disease, uh, dementia, and so on. I wonder how best people could um, overcome that um, by, I don't know, reading, uh, either reading uh, stimulating articles or being uh, involved in, um, I don't know, discussion, dialogue about alternatives that could be helpful um i wonder that most people that have that um that under that poor situation where they are uh, very much uh, economically deprived etc um have a like you say a kind of downward spiral uh, mental outlook on um, things that it, it, yeah um an enriched environment is how they uh, made animals overcome it and uh, in humans uh, anything that uh, gets you out of the, the trapped sensation that makes your life interesting. Yeah. So just about any uh, life-enriching experience, uh, uh, meeting new people, going new places, yeah. helps break out of those patterns. Yeah. Okay, for, from a from an, a, a direct uh, descriptive term then for allergies, for people that are, for example... Uh, allergic to pollen. I know pollen is just one of many different uh, allergens that can trigger an, uh, an allergy response. But in terms of um, uh, some of the best uh, treatment or some of the best um, approaches to this type of uh, allergy-mediated substance, what do you think would be uh, probably some of the most important advice people could get for um, combating allergies? It, it turns out that the same things that cure or help to escape from learned helplessness uh, also help to uh, stop the or reduce the inflammatory reaction and reduce histamine production. And uh, uh, T3, the active form of thyroid hormone, was one of the early things they discovered would uh, cure learned helplessness. And it uh, does several things that uh, uh, prevent overproduction of, of histamine. Uh, it's, it's been known to be anti-inflammatory for a long time, but uh, one of its mechanisms is to uh, stabilize mast cells so they don't secrete serotonin, histamine, and other inflammatory things. Okay. All right, so uh, how about how about we, we've talked in the past about you are what you eat, and then uh, 
at this point in time, we're talking about ingesting allergens. Uh, so potentially you can be triggered into inflammation uh, by what you either purposely or inadvertently ingest. So what perhaps is a rationale or your rationale then for the, the gut-derived link between inhaled allergens and allergy that can be decreased by specifically treating the gut with anti-inflammatories? Sometimes the uh, inflammation in a particular area, like in your nose or ears or throat or eyes, uh, sometimes that's uh, really something uh, irritating your intestine. Uh, you, you can develop the uh, uh, IgE antibodies solely in your nasal membranes uh, without having it in your general bloodstream, so you can have a, a local reaction to pollen or such. But I think usually people who are getting uh, these throat, nose inflammations, uh, it's usually uh, started from something happening in the intestine, uh, triggering mast cells, uh, which are uh, very numerous in the lining of the intestine, uh, triggering the production of histamine, serotonin, nitric oxide, and other things systemically, prostaglandins in particular, and, and those circulate to uh, cause all membranes. They can cause uh, highs of lumps on the skin and other skin conditions. And so uh, avoiding things that feed bacteria so that you don't produce so much endotoxin can uh, help uh, all types of allergy and inflammatory conditions. And uh, the um, standard theory of allergy is uh, they used to say that only a protein is uh, an, right. a potential allergen. Okay. But uh, uh, there's just uh, perfect evidence that uh, many things don't contain protein <laughs> are very powerful, potentially deadly uh, allergens. Uh, for example, the alginate that dentists use for making molds of the mouth. Do you say uh, alginate? Alginate. Yeah, okay. It's a, yeah. a cousin of carrageenan, sure. which is now in so many foods. Right. Uh, uh, one person died of anaphylactic shock while uh, having a, a mold made with alginate. Uh, it, it's a, so allergic were they, huh? Yeah, it's a poly, uh, polysaccharide, but uh, uh, lots of gums, uh, like guar and locust gum and xanthan gum and so on, uh, these are all allergens for some people, but they're, they're used just almost indiscriminately in food. Today someone sent me a, a label for a, an ice cream substitute that contains seven different gums, oh one of which is an allergen for some people. Do, do you think that this uh, the, the food-based uh, dietary involvement of uh, allergic responses could be additive in any way where people just get worse and worse because their diet doesn't change and the insults just continue to come on in? Uh, yeah, I think this is probably the, the worst cause of learned <laughs> helplessness in the biological sense. Uh, your body experiences that inflammatory state uh, which is uh, psychological as much as biological. Mm, it's so so insidious too. It's uh, it's so all pervasive and all, all so in, insidious. It's uh, it's a pretty corporate um, pretty corporate machine that's being driven. I think down the uh, down the path of destruction for a lot of people in a lot of ways. But that's why I know you advocate so many 
um, good whole, not the whole foods as in the whole food store, but so many good whole food um, approaches to diet. And I know that your uh, mainstay uh, uh, foods of choice and preference here are things like good quality dairy products, whether it's milk uh, or cheese. Um, or uh, yeah, the uh, calcium and vitamin D are uh, two of the things that are very uh, strongly anti-allergic. Uh, magnesium is the most famous because of magnesium deficiency they found uh, caused uh, a terrific range of inflammatory diseases in in animals and uh, they were uh, you could cure skin diseases heart disease nerve disease uh, liver disease and so on just by correcting a, a magnesium deficiency but vitamin d and calcium uh, working with magnesium are very important so that uh, some people cure their allergies just by uh, uh, supplementing vitamin D or vitamin K, which is the other major uh, calcium regulating uh, vitamin. Okay, let's hold that thought there for a minute because uh, we do actually have a call on there. So let's let's just open up the uh, open up the short show to callers and let's see where this first call is going. Caller, you're on the air. Yes, hello. This is David from Missouri. Oh, hey, David. What's your question? Okay, uh, I, I think this is still on target, but I've wondered about this for quite a while. Do you think there's some kind of confusion that's been going on for a long time regarding the common cold and it actually being in the same category as an allergy? For instance, you, you look at what happens um, around Christmas or the holidays. You've got people that have reduced sunlight. They're eating extremely unhealthy food. They're stressed out, and all of a sudden, you know, everybody's getting the cold. Sounds like a perfect uh, recipe. I'm, I'm just wondering, uh, you know, and we also see this happen throughout the year where people are labeling something a cold or they're confused. They even seem confused as, do I have an allergy or do I have a cold? And uh, the other thing I want to ask in relation to that, which I think, it covers both subjects of allergies and the cold, is why is mucus always a major part of either one of those? Is that the body's intelligence trying to throw off the allergens? Is it like a vehicle being used to uh, try to exit things? Um, yeah, mucus binds histamine and uh, keeps it away from the cells and um, binds other toxins and irritants, so it's our first line of defense, both against uh, allergens and, and viruses and such. But uh, I think there is a, a great similarity between uh, the, the variety of uh, viruses that like to uh, attack the intestine, uh, things that we think of as, as respiratory viruses, <clears throat> I think are primarily intestinal viruses. Uh, uh, polio, uh, in uh, one of its uh, manifestations, was uh, really just a gastrointestinal uh, infection. But uh, the famous gastroenterologist, uh, Walter Alvarez, about 80 years ago, uh, experimented on dogs. And when he would give them a respiratory virus, he found that they would get <clears throat> a runny nose and uh, inflammation in their head without any virus 
at all present in their nose, and he found that the virus was growing in their intestine and producing symptoms in their upper respiratory system. And then later, uh, if they uh, didn't throw it off, uh, later the virus would show up all through their system, including their nose. So the, what seems to be a, a nose cold, uh, I think most often is irritation in the intestine. And uh, I've seen dozens of people who uh, learned that uh, at the first sign of a cold coming on, such as a, a sore throat or a runny nose, if they ate a carrot, uh, they could break the pattern and not develop the cold. Is, that, is the common cold considered to be a virus or a germ? It's supposed to be a virus, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so I've always thought this is interesting, too, especially after learning everything I have from you, Dr. Pete, that, you know, doctors are prescribing antibiotics even though, you know, for a long time I was always irritated with uh, family members, you know, going ahead and going to the doctor when they had a bad cold and getting antibiotics, and I would say, hey, it's a virus, so why are you doing that? Why is the doctor doing that? And they always said that it was because of a secondary in infection, but in reality, based on what you've been, what we've been learning from you, it actually may be a good thing to do because it's attacking that uh, endotoxin issue mm -hmm. in the intestine. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I think so. And um, you usually don't need nearly the uh, dose that is typically prescribed uh, to clear out a, a bowel infection if it has just come on. Uh, sometimes a third of the uh, standard dose of penicillin or tetracycline or uh, erythromycin will clear it up. And then antihistamines that are uh, stifling the mucus flow in a way are really kind of disrupting the intelligence of the body getting these allergens out. Is that correct? Um, except uh, sometimes they can break the pattern. Uh, like vitamin E has antihistamine effect. For example, it prevents the formation of prostaglandins and uh, as a consequence will prevent the uh, degranulation of mast cells. And, and so it can uh, prevent the shift to the IgE antibody in the whole thing. Uh, because so, you're saying the histamine is, is creating a vicious cycle, so we do want to break that cycle? Um, yeah, breaking the cycle, uh, even uh, uh, various uh, antihistamines and other drugs can help to break that cycle. And you've said before that, like, nitric acid is also kind of a vicious loop going between anti uh, between histamine and nitric acid. Which I, think, is kind of I think you mean nitric oxide, don't you? Um, yeah, histamine uh, turns on the production of nitric oxide, and uh, nitric oxide signals a bunch of other inflammatory processes, but the worst thing is that it interferes with oxygen energy production. Okay. So so the mucus flowing, though, is probably a good thing, but it may be a part of that vicious cycle, I guess, that we would like to stop. Um, yeah, the mucus itself is, is fine. It's helpful, but uh, you wouldn't have to produce it if you didn't have the inflammation. Ah, uh, okay, there we go. That's what I was looking for. Okay.
Okay, well, hey, thank you. Yeah, thank you for your call. Okay, well, we do have two more callers, and I just want to uh, let other people that are listening know, uh, from now until the end of the show, 8 o'clock, you were invited to call in with questions related or unrelated to this month's topic of allergy, local areas, uh, 707-923-3911, or there's an 800 number for people living in a different state, across the states or outside of this area, toll uh, number, this 707 number, it's 800-568-3723. So we have two more callers. Let's take this next caller. Caller, where are you from and what's your question? I'm Christina from the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, hey, Christina, what's your question? Um, before I ask my question, I first just want to thank Dr. Pete. Dr. Pete, you've absolutely changed my life through Dr. Murray, who I've been consulting with over the past year. Uh, my hair has gotten thicker. My energy has increased. Anxiety and depression have tremendously improved. And so I just want to thank you both, Dr. Pete and Dr. Murray, for all that you do. Awesome. Um, the, the two quick questions I have is I've been experiencing terrible al- allergies for the past month. And notice that my symptoms um, dramatically flare up right when I go to sleep. Like, it's very difficult for me to fall asleep. And do you know why that happens? That's the first question. The second question is, what do you recommend I do to alleviate those symptoms? Yeah, um, yeah I think it's because that's when the parasympathetic system kicks in and it lowers your blood sugar. And uh, that uh, combination uh, turns on the histamine release and inflammation. And uh, I experimented, uh, I had that uh, pattern of of, uh, sleep onset asthma, and I found that jimson weed uh, or atropine, uh, the belladonna type chemical, uh, breaks the muscarinic part of the uh, parasympathetic uh, reaction. And I found that that would uh, keep me from going into that very low blood sugar state. But the trouble with uh, relying on the uh, anticholinergic is that it tends to dry your mouth and uh, gives you tooth decay from the the, uh, absence of saliva flow during the night. So it it is an emergency treatment, but uh, the, uh, the real thing, I think, is to... Uh, adjust your thyroid and progesterone. Uh, progesterone uh, has a, a broad variety of uh, antihistamine effects. Uh, estrogen turns on both the uh, multiplication of mast cells and their tendency to release histamine and serotonin. And, and so uh, getting your thyroid uh, to a, a good level will reduce your uh, estrogen and increase your progesterone and uh, shift the balance in histamine production. Uh, Aspirin is uh, another uh, antihistamine that works indirectly by reducing prostaglandin production and nitric oxide production and such. You, you could easily take uh, three, say, 325 milligram tablets in a day. I know people, some people take considerably more than that, and in conjunction with vitamin K, uh, one drop 
uh, per 325 milligram tablet if it's a one mil per drop vitamin K2 solution uh, is adequate to offset any potential um, hemorrhagic or you know uh, hemodynamic effects uh, of blood thinning that some individuals may get it's uh, relatively rare um, but so 900 milligrams a day that would be a, a fairly uh, for people that were suffering with allergies that would also be quite a uh, quite a good approach to um, self-treatment um, I, th- I think so and uh, sometimes just taking three to five hundred milligrams uh, before bedtime so there that it has time to get absorbed before you actually start falling asleep yeah um sorry there was another part of your question i think Carla, that you uh um, those are actually, that those was, are both of them. I do okay. have another one, but I can let the next person have a chance. Well, what's your next question? Now's the opportunity. <laughs> um, my old naturopathic doctor told me that I was getting eczema flare-ups as a result of eating eggs. And surprisingly, although I know that you mentioned, Dr. Pete, on this show many times that eggs are good for you, surprisingly, eczema still comes back when I eat eggs, and I get kind of a migraine after I eat eggs. is a headache that really hurts. So what do you think causes that? Uh, yeah, I, I've had that reaction many times uh, to uh, liver is the other good food that can cause that reaction. But uh, when you're tending to uh, have the high histamine or parasympathetic dominance, uh, a dose of very high-quality protein powerfully stimulates insulin production and drops your blood sugar. And so it's the same reaction that happens when you go to sleep, your parasympathetic system lets uh, inflammation develop. And so I, I learned to never uh, eat more than uh, one egg per glass of, a uh, 10-ounce glass of sweet orange juice, at least that much to balance the protein in one egg. Well, that makes sense because I've been eating two eggs and just a little bit of orange juice. So I'll try that. Thank you so much. Okay, you're welcome. All right, so uh, let's take the next caller. Caller, you're on the end. Where are you from? Hi there, this is Coleman. I'm from Garberville. Oh, hey, Coleman. Go ahead, what's your question? Thank you very much for this wonderful program, and, uh, and thank you for the graciousness of the lady that just spoke, being ready to get off the phone, um, and the guy from MO might listen. Um, I'm interested because you were talking about anaphylactic shock and how sugar could help, and I used to carry Sudafed in my truck, glove compartment because I was paranoid about rattlesnakes, and I understood that that was a possible use, you know, on the way to getting help. Is sugar also something that could help in that regard? Thank you very much. Yeah, I would think so. Dr. Pete, what's, uh, what your, what's your take on that? Um, uh, yeah, the, um, having a Coca-Cola uh, or Pepsi, I think, would work, but uh, uh, most, most of the people I know have had Coca-Cola work at 12-ounce uh, glass contains, uh, uh, I forget it, but it, it's, uh, it's probably eight, like eight, eight teaspoons or more. Eight percent <laughs> glucose for sugar. Okay. Uh, and I, th- I think it's mostly the sugar, but the uh, caffeine contributes to the same thing, helping to keep your uh, blood sugar up. Uh, and uh, ephedra is uh, more powerful than caffeine but uh, working in the same direction. Okay, yeah, we're talking about ephedra, Dr. Pete. Um, thanks for that caller. Um, it used to be a par excellence herb for uh, asthma, 
I used to use a lot of ephedra, and uh, unfortunately it got uh, abused uh, and withdrawn from the marketplace probably 10 years ago now. Um, but as a, as a stimulant um, and for reducing the effects of inflammation and allergies, do you, uh, do you think that it was its sympathetic drive or uh, uh, some anti, uh, antihistamine uh, quality that it had that was uh, responsible for it? I think they're all the same thing. Uh, the uh, pharmacologists like to talk about specific uh, receptors being activated and so on, but there's just an extreme uh, overlap. The same way the steroid hormones, uh, all of them overlap either positively or negatively. Uh, the uh, the benzadrine, uh, amphetamine, ephedra, uh, dopamine, adrenaline, uh, uh, diphenhydramine, ciproheptadine, uh, all of these things that are, uh, they have different names and categories, but they, are, they all have a good antihistamine, uh, pro-blood sugar, uh, pro-respiratory effect. Yeah. Okay, just a, just a shame that they've been maligned because of some of their uh, uh, tachycardic or hypertensive effects, I think, in the extreme. I think that's probably one of the main reasons that ephedra was pulled from the market. I think uh, people doing long-distance truck driving, etc., were abusing it to stay awake, and I think there were some incidences of, uh, oh, I don't know, probably stroke in some people uh, or high blood pressure in others that caused them to cause them to pull it off the market do you know if there's any of those uh, sympathetic stimulants that maybe don't have such a uh, stimulant effect to change blood pressure or pulse rate but would still have um, a antihistamine effect or one that had a different mechanism um, of activity um, the uh, currently popular alternative that's legal is, is one that's produced in the brain uh, but it's a close relative of dopamine and, and adrenaline. It's called uh, phenethylamine, P-E-A. Okay, phenethylamine. But, but people, again, are talking about 500 to 1,000 or 1,500 milligram doses, which I think are crazy. <laughs> uh, I think a helpful dose would be maybe 5 or 10 milligrams. Okay. And that's, that doesn't have a stimulant effect on the cardiovasculature or the... Uh, well, I, I think it would, would at those oh. tremendous, <laughs> crazy doses. At 500 milligrams, it probably would, huh? Okay, well, you're listening to Ask Your Reb, Dr. KMUD, Garville, 91.1 FM. Uh, from now till the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with questions either related to allergy or allergy-related subjects or, or, un or unrelated. The numbers, uh, if you live in the area, 707-923-3911 or there's an 800 number, which is 1-800-568-3723. Uh, you can use to call in between now and about 5 to 8. Well, Dr. P, I wanted to get, to get onto the other subject uh, related to allergies. It's a topic of uh, atopic um, dermatitis. I know I've uh, known several people with chronic uh, dermatitis that's basically gone on to become severe eczema, uh, weeping. And I read the article where in, and this is one of those PubMed articles, that they've found 95% of people that have atopic dermatitis, chronic atopic dermatitis, get colonized with staph aureus. 
and that's Staphylococcal aureus uh, bacteria that produces the uh, yellow pus uh, and becomes responsible for the kind of boil type uh, appearance of the uh, broken skin of the dermatitis that um, that is actually being used uh, the anti-stress method that yeah, we've mentioned earlier on as a cause for allergies, reducing stress but not only that but you um, piqued my interest when you were talking about vitamin D and vitamin D is being responsible for anti-allergy and then again with uh, magnesium and magnesium deficiency and how thyroid basically stabilizes magnesium in the body do you think atopic dermatitis is um uh, something that can be treated through the gut in the same way that you think allergies can um yeah the uh, the gut and the skin have some uh, antigens and enzymes that are so closely connected that when one is inflamed the other one gets inflamed and uh, uh thyroid and vitamin d are are the most common uh, solutions to those uh, hypersensitivity of, of gut and skin. Okay, so we talked about um, environmental enrichment now as a way of uh, uh, changing the tide, as it were, against inflammation. I think we'll pick that up just after this next caller. So let's just take this next caller. You're on the air, where are you from? Dr. P. Hey, caller, you're on the air. I'm so very grateful. Thank you very much. Uh, Colorado calling. Colorado. My well, name's Jana. The question is, uh, I wake up every night with a hypnic headache. Uh, is it related to the caller before that it's, it's a headache that comes on every night at 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock or 1 o'clock in the morning, and coffee's about the only thing that will relieve it? Yeah, I think it is exactly the same thing. The the, uh, the parasympathetic system uh, is uh, overactive, uh, pushes the blood sugar down, and uh, uh, then the inflammatory uh, things get loose in the intestine and blood vessels. And uh, I've used uh, uh, sugar and milk as a uh, a, a very compact and easy way to uh, interrupt the night. Uh, if if you uh, expect that to happen at one or two, if you wake up at say twelve thirty and have uh, maybe a, a half a glass of milk with a heaping tablespoon of sugar in it, uh, okay. it will usually help you get through the rest of the night without it. How, how do you, how would you uh, see low thyroid as a uh, mechanism by which to uh, help? control blood sugar and uh, in relation to hypnic uh, yeah. issues? Uh, yeah, I think the uh, low thyroid function is is the basic thing that uh, it develops because of accumulating PUFA, polyunsaturated fats, in the system. And then when your thyroid is low, uh, the prostaglandins uh, are let loose and... Uh, activate the histamine release and so at the the base of the problem if you can't uh, get rid of the polyunsaturated fats which takes years of uh, being careful with your food uh, increasing your thyroid can uh, achieve pretty much the same thing uh, stabilizing uh, your uh, uh, tissues so that they don't release so much uh, 
unsaturated fat during the night. Thank you, Dr. Pete. Another question, does the coffee enema, is it the same effect as drinking coffee? Um, I think drinking coffee with cream in it is better because you absorb it slowly and steadily, especially if it's with some food, maybe a raw carrot, for example, will extend the absorption of the caffeine and keep your blood sugar up. Uh, well, the cof- so coffee much. enema gives you a, a very sharp increase that uh, can be stressful. That makes sense. Thank you very much. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, thank you for your call, caller. Okay, well, we've just about got about uh, six to eight minutes left, so if anybody else wants to call in, uh, either related or unrelated to this month's subject of allergy, please do so. There's a 923 number, which is 3911 for those who are local in the 707 area code, or there's an 800 toll-free number, which is 1-800-568-3723. And once again, we're very pleased to have Dr. Ray Pete's wisdom uh, shared with us. Uh, Dr. Pete, I'm talking about some of the um, herb uh, plants that have been used traditionally to uh, treat allergies. I wonder how many of these might actually have more of a uh, gut-related anti-inflammatory effect, and that is how um, they become allergy-treatable uh, you know, type uh, approaches. So things like turmeric, um, I was reading, I mean, we know all, all about turmeric in terms of its anti-inflammatory, anti-cancer um, type mechanisms, but I wonder whether those turmerones and those other uh, potent compounds within turmeric could be more gut-related uh, in terms of their anti-inflammatory effect and that way uh, have an effect on allergies. I, I suspect they are... Um uh, the soothing, the famous soothing teas, such as chamomile, I think are, are working largely on the intestine. And uh, uh, cooked mushrooms are okay. definitely acting on the intestine primarily. Have you heard of a compound called uh, chromo, uh, chromalin and sodium chromoglycate? Uh, yeah, I've, I've never used them, <laughs> but I, I've heard okay. about them. All right, these are, these actually I looked this up and they come from a uh, plant, an Egyptian plant that I've known in herbal medicine, but never used it, called uh, Ami Visnaga. Apparently, it's been used for a couple of millennia uh, in Egypt. So that's one of those other uh, alternatives. And then the methyl xanthins. I know I've heard you speak fairly extensively about xanthins and methyl xanthins before. So things like theophylline um, from cocoa beans and apparently contain a lot of methyl xanthin. Uh, caffeine is uh, my favorite of the category, but yeah. uh, uh, there is one that's used medically uh, that has, uh, I think it's five carbons added to it to make it a little more uh, stable in the uh, in intracellular. Uh, it, it's a philo, uh, I can't think of the name of it, but it's, it's uh, uh, medically... Uh, uh, approved version of caffeine. Okay. All right. How, how much um, are you aware of? Uh, I know you've mentioned Datura quite a lot too as being a, a good anticholinergic um, and it's a uh, muscarinic antagonist then. But, and I know we talked about the dry mouth syndrome. For, for me in herbal medicine traditionally, I uh, would always uh, 
in England, I can't say that I do it here because I'm not allowed, but in England I could prescribe uh, Detura or a trope of Belladonna and give it to the patient with the caveat that when they just began to get a dry mouth, that would be their threshold point at which they could back off their dose slightly and that would be their maintenance dose for treating them for asthma, for example, with Detura. Do, do you know um, whether or not there's the uh, physiological tolerance for something like that class of uh, compound to be used for um, allergies and asthma could be related, uh, you know, tolerated over long term? Oh, uh, yeah, I, I think the dry mouth is really the only uh, serious side effect. Uh, I've known people who uh, loved it so much uh, that <laughs> they uh, ruined their teeth. Wow. Because they, they used it enough because that's, that was what they were using it for, you're saying, because it was uh, Yeah, they, they would have uh, oh, night seizures or uh, night asthma or uh -huh. night headaches or whatever, and it's very good for that, but it's very bad to do it chronically. <laughs> it's, you, you, you can do uh, the same thing safely with uh, the, uh, the oily vitamins, vitamin E, vitamin D, uh, vitamin K in particular, and... Uh, uh, vitamin B6 and thiamine uh, are important for uh, stabilizing the mast cells and blood sugar. And uh, magnesium is essential. It works with mag with uh, thyroid, uh, so you you can't uh, expect magnesium or thyroid to to work uh, perfectly without uh, the cooperation of the two at the same time. Yeah. Okay. So once again, then we come back to the uh, the subject of adequate sugars. Um, adequate thyroid hormone avoidance of the polyunsaturates that block thyroid hormone um, and the necessity of getting a uh, clean diet with bowels moving correctly and not suffering from constipation and reabsorbing uh, endotoxin as a pretty good way forward in terms of uh, just those things which are fairly easy to do uh, for the approach to asthma and or allergies in general. Um, and I think getting back to the uh, gut origin of um, allergies, as you made that link, uh, not just to the kind of inspired respiratory airborne allergens, but actually a lot of it can start in the gut. And um, I know you've mentioned uh, a lot in the past cascara as a good uh, bowel laxative and a, and a compound with which has a fairly similar structure to tetracycline chemically. Uh, yeah, and the uh, drug companies are seeming to get interested in it as a, a cancer treatment, <laughs> a, a treatment for uh, oh, dementia and heart disease, and it, it has a tremendous range of beneficial protective effects besides protecting the intestine. So I'll have to watch out for that one being banned, I, I presume. Uh, yeah, it, it's so good. <laughs> in, the short, in the short term, it'll just get too many good things going for it, and they'll pull it off the market under the guise of some toxicity, I would think. Anyway, all right, well, it's uh, it's 5 to 8 and obviously too late for anybody else to call in, um, but wanted to uh, just thank you so much for your time and your uh, giving of your, yourself to uh, come to these radio shows, and I know that you've uh, become pretty much the mainstay of the show here for quite a few years now, so I do appreciate your time and uh, appreciate everything that you do for us, Dr. Pete. Okay, thank you. Okay, so for those people that have listened to the show and uh, want to know more about Dr. Ray Pete uh, and about his work and his life, um, his website is www.raypeat.com, R-A-Y-P-E-A-T.com. Um, he has a lot of articles there which are fully referenced, uh, bibliographic fully referenced articles, 
very scientific. I know some of it's a little heavy going if you are uh, just an average person who doesn't really have a science background, but there's enough in in the writing there anyway just to get the gist of what he's saying and uh, uh, some of the stuff also could be looked up. But anyway, it's very well worth re- worthwhile reading. Um, a lot of the uh, material, you won't find it anywhere else. A lot of what he advocates, you will not hear the mainstream media advocating. Uh, so www.raypeat.com. Uh, we can be contacted anytime Monday through Friday. Uh, on one eight 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 WBM Herb, or our website address is www.westernbotanicalmedicine.com. So we're in the springtime now, and uh, it'll just be getting lighter and warmer and brighter and drier. So there's that to look forward to. But for those people perhaps who are going to get uh, the allergies coming on here, uh, I hope there's been lots of information in this show, not both dietarily, but uh, with those other things that one can do to either avoid the learned helplessness uh, in social environments uh, and also to enrich their environment with uh, positive things as well as uh, using herbs and other supplements with which to uh, offset that inflammation that is the hallmark of allergies. So until the third Friday of next month, uh, thank you so much for joining and for those questions who called in, thank you for your time. Uh, I'll talk to you next third Friday of uh, April. Good night. Support for K-Mug comes from listeners like you and from the end of the Lost Coast with Fireplace, Spa, and Sauna Suites. The outdoor hot tub is a great place to relax in any weather. Fish Tank Espresso and Delgado Pizza and Bakery offer daily treats, including a fine selection of beer and wine. Home of the Yellow Submarine, all that's needed is love and a reservation. Available at endofthelostcoast.com or by calling 986 Seven five two one. Support for KMUG comes from Solar Winds Northern Lights, a licensed insured bonded contractor specializing in design, installation, maintenance, and troubleshooting of battery-based and grid-tied solar electric systems. Also complete electrical services for homes, homesteads, and agriculture. More information available from Chris 498-2804 or online solarwindsnorthernlights.com. 759. Stay tuned. We're going out on a wing and a prayer. Mm-hmm. 